Okay, we're going to uh, continue our series on the parables. And we've been concentrating in the book of Matthew, and there we're going to stay. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 33. Matthew 13, verse 33. The title of the message is The Kingdom of Influence. The Kingdom of Influence. Matthew 13, verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Lord, help us as we study. Jesus um, was a fabulous communicator. But he didn't have the aid like we do in our generation of replication of message. So there were no podcasts. No way to get a CD burned after he preached. And so he had to communicate in ways that said things without saying them because there just wasn't enough time to say everything to fix all of man's problems in three and a half years. He didn't begin his public ministry of speaking and declaring until he was 30. He died when he was 33 and a half. And then he left the rest of the ministry up to the disciples. So he had three and a half years of communication. And I've been been preaching, and and, and there's no way you can compare me to Christ in effectiveness and vocabulary and understanding of how to communicate. But I've been preaching 33 and a half years, and i still got a lot to say. There's stuff I have not communicated yet. I have to, I, I need more Sundays. I need more Tuesdays. I need more Fridays. I need more days. He only had three and a half years. And this is one of the reasons he spoke to the people in parables, because he could say more without saying. He could communicate things hidden within the print or within the verbiage that only those who were diligent seekers would find. Those who were casual inquirers would be confused. They wouldn't know exactly what he was talking about. Even the disciples, when they heard the first parable, which was the parable of the sower, came back to him and said, what in the world are you talking about? I don't have any idea what this means. He said, I speak to the people in parables because those who don't hear well, meaning would use it for their own gain and aren't hearing for the purposes for which I say it, so they won't get what I'm trying to communicate at all. But those who do have ears to hear will be able to understand and inquire more so that the digging will produce for them something that's beneficial to them and the kingdom. And so I speak to them in parables so that my words won't be misused. And only those who really want to know will know. Meaning, I'm talking in in words, but I'm saying more than I'm saying. And you've got to hear what I'm not saying. Now, in order to hear what Christ is not saying, you've got to have a very good hermeneutic. Or else, you will hear what you are saying. What other people are saying. You will misinterpret the scriptures all around. a, A hermeneutic, by the way is a fancy word that comes from the Greek, which means message. Meaning, you've got to understand what God is trying to say from the beginning, meaning Genesis, all the way to the end of Revelation. And may I say, his message has not changed. It's the same message. I want the planet fixed. And I'm trying to do it by my own right hand to help people live better and to glorify me on the earth so that people can understand what their purpose is. 
Same redemptive process from beginning all the way through the book of Revelation. Different people speaking, different clothes on the redemptive benefits, but same process. It is the exact same message all the way through. And if you carry that message through, then you will have a good understanding sometimes of what is not being said when somebody's saying something. With respect to this passage, Jesus, I think, is trying to communicate a lot of stuff. And the fact that it is, it is mentioned twice in the same order in, in different books probably displays that Jesus was trying to communicate something in the same order and for the same reason. So in Matthew chapter 13, we've got the parable of the mustard seed, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. God took a mustard seed, put it in the ground, became a plant, largest plant in the garden, big tree, birds of the air came to nest in his branches. Massive. This is what the kingdom is like. And then he says, kingdom of heaven can be likened to a woman who took some leaven and hid it in three pecks of flour. He says this in Matthew, and he says it the exact same way in Luke. Now, it's rare when Luke and Matthew use the exact same language. They'll have the same stories, but they will share it from different perspectives. And don't ever think the Bible's inconsistent because one story is shared different here in a gospel, and it's shared different in another gospel. Don't ever think that. Because Jesus may have said the same sermon eight, nine times. And I speak four times on a Sunday. None of my sermons ever sound exactly the same. And so it could have been when he said it in Galilee, obviously the people in Jerusalem didn't hear it. So in order to communicate truth down to the people in Jerusalem, he had to go and repeat the sermon down there. Well, he may have said it with different verbiage, but the same message came across. So don't ever think somehow the Bible's inconsistent simply because the stories don't match perfectly, but they match in meaning. But this is different. Both of these parables match perfectly, which gives you the impression that Jesus was saying them one right after another to try to communicate more than just the verbiage. And in the first one, he said, a man came and took this seed of mustard, mustard seed, and put it in the ground. This, in the second parable, he says, a woman came and took some leaven and and hid it in a peck of, or three pecks of flour. And I I think Jesus was trying to communicate. Now, what I'm about to say is not the entire message, but you cannot ignore the fact that he was trying to communicate this point, that women matter. A man came and took a mustard seed. A woman, he could have used any. The kingdom of heaven is like the wind. You can't see it, but you can see the effect of it after it's gone. He could have used any parable he wanted, could have made up stuff, but he chose to use a a, a form of communication in metaphor that is is predominantly relegated to the, 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 the domestics or people that live in the house. And he wanted to make sure that women were included in the progress of the kingdom. Now, I don't think he was trying to say that somehow this form of domestic labor is simply relegated only to women. I just think he was using an example here. And by the way, the Bible does not give any designation regarding responsibilities in the household about what is male and female. None. I don't like doing dishes, but I will do them. I don't like cleaning up. I don't like vacuuming, but I will do it. Frankly, I don't like anything around the house. I don't like outside work or inside work. There's nothing about housework I like. But I will do it. I'll fix stuff. I'll repair stuff. I'll, I'll make stuff. I'll do it. Why? Because it's not gender oriented. 
So Jesus is not trying to say that. But he is trying to describe a situation that does exist. That when you see a woman making bread, she does some things. And I think he's intentionally using a a metaphor like this in his parable to show the value that women have in the kingdom. Now, most most of the sermons and most of the history of the church has been about what men have done. And there's no question that most societies are male-dominated. And I'm not apologizing for that. But I think it's important that males understand something about how females are, fun- are to function in God and what it means for them to play a significant role in our progress and indeed sometimes for the man to follow the woman. I never get any amens on that point because the women are too afraid to say amen and the men want to say, wait now, wait now, wait now, wait now, wait now. A woman took some leaven and hid it in a lump of dough. The church has been male-dominated, and all theology is autobiographical. All theology is autobiographical, meaning it is impossible for you to come to the scriptures with a blank slate. You come with your experiences. You come with your understanding, your spiritual background. And so you interpret the scriptures as best you know how through you in your mind. And there's no way to remove you from it. And unfortunately, men have looked at the scriptures from a very paternalistic view. And they have not seen the value that God has put upon the female of the human species that is beautiful and and adds so much in terms of depth to what God wants to do. And that Adam and Eve were created as equals. People that were to both function and and participating in reflecting the will of God in the earth. It's it's not insignificant that that Eve was not created from his toes that she should be under him or from his head that she should be over him but from his side that she should be beside him. That's not insignificant. And it's not insignificant when you talk about the equality that Even in the fall, they were equal. Unfortunately, though Eve was the one who had the conversation with the serpent, it says that Adam was with her. She took the fruit and gave to her husband who was with her, which makes you scratch your head and say, what were you doing, dude? I mean, God spoke to you specifically. It seems that you were supposed to speak specifically to your wife about how these things are to go. You didn't seem to do a very good job of that, or she didn't hear you, regardless of the fact. When she was having the conversation with the serpent, what were you doing? You were right there with her. Why didn't you tell the serpent to get out? God charged you with keeping the garden. That's your responsibility. You should have told the serpent to get out, or at least shut up. Or, dear, back up. I got this. One of the three, you did neither. What's wrong with you? So they equally fell. It wasn't more Eve. It was equal. Both blew it. And they were both, unfortunately, equally cursed. If God wants to, to, to do things with the same message, meaning for, the, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus one day and said, is it lawful for a man to, to divorce his wife for any cause? If it is, why did Moses allow it? If it's lawful, 
And Moses allowed it. What do you say about that? He said, well, Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts. There are things that God permits because people just won't go. They just won't do. They won't turn the right way. So God says, okay, I, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to destroy you. I'll just let that go. And there are so many things that God just lets go in your life. And unfortunately, you confuse it with approval. He, he's not happy. He just doesn't want to judge you. He said, it's not that way. You got to go back to the beginning. How did God think about it in the beginning? And the beginning is, speaks everything to his priorities. How did God make Adam and Eve in the beginning? They were equal partners. Yet one was supposed to be the leader, and that was Adam. And, and Eve was supposed to recognize his leadership, yet without abdicating any of her role of being a helpmate and an equal partner. And this is the way God wants not just male and female relationships to function in marriage, but every relationship whereby there is an organization established or an institution set. Somebody's got to lead. And he established it this way. Jesus said it wasn't that way from the beginning. A man was supposed to be committed to his wife for the days of his life until one of them passed. That's the way it was supposed to be. And you've made rules based on the hardness of your heart. Your own patriarchal tendencies have pushed women to the, women to the side. And unfortunately, it was terrible how women were treated. You could tell a woman three times, I divorce you, and she's gone. Now, it couldn't be three times in a row in one day. It had to be over three different circumstances. And if you said it over three different circumstances, I divorce you, I divorce you three weeks later, I divorce you six weeks later, gone. That's all that was needed. You didn't go to court, and she had no rights to the kids. It was horrible. This is to show you how much Jesus cared about women. He said, really, the only cause for, for, for separation is adultery. And what Jesus did was this. He leveled the playing field. He said, you men, you think you can go ahead and just say whatever you want and do whatever you want, and then by three words, tell a woman she's gone. She's risking everything. You're risking nothing. I want you to know I'm up in the ante. You commit adultery, it's on you now. So Jesus, if you will, realized that the society had a prenup for women. He said, I'm excuse me, a prenup for the men against the women. He said, I'm making a prenup for the women against the men. I'm leveling the playing field. You just can't go out and sleep around and come on back home, boy. Can't do that. Jesus cared about women. Cared. And you say, well, pastor, what about all those passages that talk about women not being able to speak in church and Okay, let, let, let's go into that just a little. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, if a woman has something to say, first of all, she needs to be silent in the church. If a woman has something to say, she ought to wait till she gets home and talks to her husband. Now, that is a passage that deals specifically with church order. But you, you have to look at, at everything Paul says, not just one passage. So in 1 Corinthians 11, he says... If a woman wants to pray or prophesy, she needs to have her head covered. Now, that does not mean, and we can't get into it because we don't have time, that doesn't mean you got to wear a hat to church. Doesn't mean that. There's a whole lot more it means, but be free. You don't have to wear a hat to church. If you do wear a hat, they're pretty. I like them. But it's not because of spiritual reasons. So he said, wait a minute now. 
If a woman's going to pray and prophesy in church, she has to be, well, what? he just said they could speak in chapter 11, yet in 14 he said they need to be quiet. Is Paul schizophrenic or was something happening different? If you go to different societies, and it was what I'm about to say in, 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 in Israel and all over the world for that matter, what I'm about to say was every place. It's not so much in Western society, but it is in Eastern society today. I went to India a few years ago, preached the gospel in a church on Sunday morning, 1,000 people, 500 women on this side, 500 men on that side. The women and the men sit on different sides. It doesn't matter if you're married. You sit on opposite sides of the building. Now, you've got Corinth, which never had a church until Paul came. So there was no... You couldn't go down to First Baptist and figure out how to do church. It didn't exist. So Paul was making the order. There was no New Testament that would teach them how to do church. These, for the most part, were all Gentiles. It had never even been in an orderly spiritual service. They had been idolaters going to their pantheon of gods and offering an individual prayer to their God without having anybody as a priest or a preacher, if you will, talk about Zeus or Apollos or Hermes. They didn't have that. There was no congregation for spiritual service. It was an individualistic form of worship. You went, offered your incense, gave your prayer, and in 15, 20 minutes, you were gone. So they had no idea how to do church. So, on top of that, Paul leaves after a year and a half in Corinth. Anybody here, would would you prefer to have a pastor who was just a year and a half old in God? Would that be your choice? But that's what everybody was left with in Corinth. And so now they're trying to figure out how to do church. After Paul leaves, he realizes they don't know what they're doing because they're speaking in tongues on Sunday morning. Not just individually in their private quiet time. The preacher's talking in tongues thinking that because this is a spiritual language, being in church, he needs to go ahead and communicate in a spiritual language. He'll use Greek in the marketplace. In church, tongues. The choir sings in tongues. Folks who are coming in, literally, Paul says this, and you look at this all in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, people who come into you think you're crazy. They think you're nuts because nobody understands anything you're saying. This was church in Corinth. Okay, now, put that, superimpose that over the order in which people sit. You got a man over here and a woman over here, husband and wife. The man who's preaching, preaching in tongues. The choir is singing in tongues. The person's testifying in tongues. The woman says to the man, without any understanding of church order, because there isn't any, Tyrone, what in the world is going on now? (laughs) Cross the aisle. What is, these people crazy. They crazy. Why are we here? Having no sense that she's violating anything because they have no idea of church order. Paul's setting it. Therefore, Paul says something like this. If your wife has something to say, can she wait till she gets home? That's all that was. They didn't know how to communicate. Well, what about that other passage over in Timothy chapter 2 where it says, I don't allow a woman to speak or have authority over a man. Mm. Well, you would be really pressed. Look through that passage again. You'd be really hard-pressed to interpret that as being in a church meeting. We superimpose our own ideas over the context. The context is not church meeting. The context is really marriage. And Paul is speaking that because people to whom Timothy is now ministering, and he's in Ephesus, meaning Timothy is in Ephesus. 
Paul is speaking to Timothy, who's now ministry. They don't have any idea how to do marriage. They got no clue. And so Paul is trying to help them do marriage. Now, marriage is hard. And I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on this topic because you have to understand the scriptures well to be able to know how God values women. Marriage is flat hard. I realize all you who are single, you're looking forward to it. I'm happy for you. Look forward to it. Look for it's a joy, but it's hard because after all the emotions and all the, 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 the romance and all that, you got to wake up to somebody with bad breath. Yeah, it, it's usually the husband. I, it, did I do that right? See that? It's the husband. It's the husband. Safe. And there are times when sometimes we husbands don't make great decisions. We don't do the right thing. We are selfish. We have character flaws that are expressed most often on our spouses. And everything on the inside of the woman wants to say something about that. When Adam and Eve fell, Adam was cursed in that he he wouldn't be able to get produce from the ground without a whole lot of hard work. It would yield for him thorns and thistles. And Eve was cursed with a couple of things. One, childbirth would be difficult. Two, your desire would be for your husband. And three, he would rule over you. Now, men like to think, well, how come my wife doesn't desire me? (laughs) If that's a part of the curse, let the curse live, please. (laughs) Long live the curse. (laughs) But that's not what that means not what that means literally the word desire there means to crouch in the position of a lion getting ready to pounce on its prey looking for a weakness to take the steering wheel that's what it means waiting for the right opportunity where he's weak enough where I can now seize the moment because I am not going in this ditch again I am not going in this ditch again That would be the tendency of the woman all the time. And you can almost understand why. Because you've hitched yourself to the most perfectly imperfect human being. They're a mess. They wake up every day imperfect and they're trying to do the will of God. But you are their project. They're trying to do it with you. And it's hard because they've never led somebody like you before. And it makes it really tough for you to follow somebody who's never been this way before. And sometimes they're stubborn and sometimes they won't listen to you and sometimes they won't talk and it makes you mad and all you want to do is say, hey, we're going the wrong way, stupid. (laughs) We don't ask for directions, do we? And every bit of you wants to, somebody, somebody's feeling something. Every bit of you wants to come and take this wheel. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And the the thing, and this tells you how it was from the beginning, that God made the issue of the curse a positional thing, tells you how it wasn't that way in the beginning. Adam was never supposed to rule over. He was supposed to rule with. Are you listening to me, gentlemen? Now, it takes great skill on your part to learn how to rule with your wife, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the women's desire is to do that. And so what Paul was trying to say is, women, stop. I'm not going to let you have authority over your man. 
It'll ruin the entire marriage. Sometimes, I know this is hard, but sometimes it's better to have the leader make a mistake and support him through it than it is to say, get out of the way. Because if he is to be the leader long term, he needs to learn his lessons. And you will do well to trust God through him to provide for you even in the mistakes. Now, that is a lesson you can learn in every respect, not just marriage, in every authority structure. Now, if somebody needs to be removed because they've made too many mistakes, and I'm not talking about marriage, I'm talking about companies, okay. But in marriage, the, the, the wife and the husband are supposed to grow together through this thing. I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made. And my wife knew better. I did it anyway. Because I thought I was right. And I was wrong. And she never once said, see, I told you so. She just followed, believing that God was going to move through me somehow and fix me. And it gave me confidence to get up every day thinking, there's hope for me. I don't have to stay incompetent. I can really grow through this. And my wife will be beside me, not taking the steering wheel. And it's helped me become the leader that I am so that I can be the leader for you that I need to be. It makes a world of difference when you function in order. World of difference. God's in the long term. He's looking at it out there, not in the immediate. That's the way we all need to be. So in this passage in 1 Timothy 2, Paul is just saying in the marriage, and and I, I, I can almost guarantee he's talking about marriage, not in church, because at the end he says, and a woman will be preserved through childbearing in faith and love. Now what does childbearing have to do with church? That's all about marriage. And if you superimpose this passage over 1 Peter, it's almost the exact, 1 Peter 3, it's almost the exact same thing. Peter and, and Paul are speaking to the same kinds of people about the same issues. And then you get to 1 Peter 3, which, which I'll, I'll end on for this portion of the passage, <laughs> where, where Paul, and, and I mean men love to, 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 to ride this passage, baby. This is a passage where it says a woman, first of all, she needs to not say a whole lot and and, and let her husband be one without a word. That does not mean that the woman isn't supposed to talk. That means that nobody wants to be badgered. I don't care in what relationship you are. Nobody, man to man, woman to man, man to child, parent to teen, nobody wants to be heard every day. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, go to church. You need to go to church. You better go to church. You better go to church. (laughs) Who wants that? Nobody wants that. That's not feminine. That's not gender oriented. That's just poor communication skills. So what, what, what Peter is saying is say what you say and let God do the rest. You don't need to say anymore. Just let God do the rest. Dress right. And all of us can take a cue from that. Let the inward beauty come from here on the inside, not just be in the reflection of the outside. Nothing wrong with wearing nice clothes, but don't let, don't let that be the reflection of who you are. Let something on the inside be produced. And lastly, be respectful to your husband, just like Sarah. And if you follow her in her footsteps, you'll get her inheritance. Now, all these things, boy, the men like to harp on that, baby. See, woman, this is what you need to be. <laughs> and then the next verse, after verse 7, verse 8, likewise. Likewise, you husbands. Now, what does likewise mean? (laughs) Except everything I just said, you do too. See, Peter understands it's rule with. It's not rule over. 
Likewise, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel. Now, let, let, let me help you with this passage. I, 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 it's, it's traditionally been interpreted that, that somehow women are weaker, and therefore they need a man. I don't know who those women are. I don't know any weak women. Now, they may want a man, but they don't need a man. My mama didn't need a man. She wanted a man. She had a man. That man went. My daddy. And she raised us on her own. My mama was strong. I mean, strong. You, you, you call her weak, you're going to have a fight. She's going to prove. My, Cynthia knew how strong she was strong. Age of 13, I thought I was a man. Came home telling her a few things about how life ought to be. Looked her straight in the eye. The next thing I remember. (laughs) It wasn't one of these very proper, let's get some discipline here. She wailed back from left field. She brought that hand across my face. My glasses would fly across the room. I looked at her like, you just, you slapped me? Put her finger, you ever speak to me like that again, I'll tear your behind up. I don't care if you're 18, I'll spank the fire out of you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, strong woman. My wife. <laughs> when we were dating, engaged, she said this. I don't know what the impetus was. She said, if I had seen you when I was 13, I would have beat you up. <laughs> I said, is, is this your version of romance? Is this, is this how you tell me you love me? And if you get down in the heart of hearts, she still today thinks she can take me. I'm telling you. She still does. She'll say the polite thing, but she thinks she can take me. I don't know any weak women. Not one. Now, there may be some out there, but I don't know where they are. I think what Peter was speaking of is this. You husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with women who are in a weaker position, because they got to submit to your imperfect self every day. They are in a more vulnerable position. And as a result of being in that vulnerable position, realize who you are, that you are not all that. And that you need to depend upon God every day just to make good decisions. So live with them understanding that. And, and then he says, if it wasn't enough just to say likewise... He gives that, and then he says, and grant them honor. More stuff they got to do beyond just what he required the women to do and them to do as well. More stuff. Make sure you live with them in an understanding way and grant them honor. And what does he do? He says, grant them honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Fellow heir. Rule with. Grant them honor. as He's going right back to the beginning. Grant them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And then he says, this is Brett's paraphrase. If you don't do it, God's not going to listen to your prayers. Grant them honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the way marriage is supposed to function. But this is the way relationships and authority are supposed to function. There's no difference. 
that we are supposed to grant one another respect regularly, honor one another, prefer one another, defer to one another, care for one another, yet recognize the positions that God has placed in leadership so that we can move forward and make great decisions together. God has ordered it beautifully. A woman took, a woman took. Jesus revealed himself out of the grave to a woman first. There were the 12, but then there were the 70. And in that 70, there were a bunch of women, people who supported Christ's ministry, those who were there when Jesus was being crucified, his mama, Mary of Magdala, and Mary, the, the mother of jo, John and, and uh, James. Three women at the cross. So many times when Jesus depended upon women and trusted women for ministry, he believes they are valuable and they need to be involved. A woman took. And I think when Jesus was trying to say this, he wasn't just saying it by way of domestication responsibility. He was trying to communicate something just beyond the parable of how the kingdom works in terms of leaven, but that women are valuable in it. A woman took this leaven and she hid it in three pecks of flour. Now, let's talk about how leaven works. See, the parable he mentioned before was the parable of the mustard seed. Mustard seed becomes something different. Though it was all on the inside of the seed, we couldn't recognize it. And when it became what it was supposed to, it became a tree, big enough for branches to be there and for birds of the air to come and nest in them. And so Jesus uses the parable of the mustard seed to talk about what we can become and how big we ought to be and how stable we ought to be so that others can come and rest in the fruit of our life. Rest in our branches. Make their homes in our home. And, and I don't know that there's a better description of that than church. People making their home in our home. Our branches are big enough to support three or 4,000 people. And our branches will get larger and larger and larger to support many others. But that's not the only way to describe the kingdom. He said the kingdom is like leaven. Now leaven is yeast. And, and leaven doesn't change stays the same. It's not like the seed that becomes something else, a tree. Leaven replicates. And as a result of the replication, it produces carbon dioxide. And it's not just in the replication, but when it replicates, it does. It does produce carbon dioxide as a byproduct of just life. And when given, when given to, to, to flour and then put some, some moisture in there, some water or milk, and then the right temperature, it begins to replicate faster. And it begins to pour off more and more carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide makes whatever it's in grow. And so the kingdom of God is that which should be inserted into circumstances, into people, into organizations that, that change the organization. It's not just that which makes you grow into something. It makes the organization become something it wasn't before. The kingdom should affect every area of where you are. But unless the kingdom affects every, every part of who you are, it can't affect every part of where you are. And so you've got to take, first of all, this principle of the kingdom being leavened and put it down on the inside of you so you begin to get bigger. That the, 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 the capacity for you to become what you are not presently can begin to, 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 to take effect and you grow on the inside. And as a result of you growing on the inside, when you are inserted to somebody else's outside, you begin to affect them and they begin to grow and the environment begins to grow. Leaven affects everything. And if the kingdom is going to be leaven in your life, it's got to affect every aspect of your life. 
When you put leaven in a lump of dough, you don't just see a bulge come from the dough. You see the entire dough begin to expand. So if the kingdom is in your life like it should, it ought to affect your mouth. It ought to affect your heart. It ought to affect your mind. It ought to affect what you let through your eye gate and what you let through your ear gate. It ought to affect what you do in all of your actions. There is not an aspect of your life that the kingdom should not affect. Are you listening to me? Critical. May God help you to allow the kingdom to affect everything in your soul. Now, when it does, you'd be surprised that wherever you are planted, you are naturally an emissary of the kingdom. It just happens. And now you become the leaven. And the more people that get in contact with you are affected by everything that you do, everything that you say, all that you are. And now they want to become like you. And now the kingdom begins to grow wherever you are. The beauty is that as I close, the kingdom, when it, when, the leaven, when it gets on the inside of bread. Now, we, we've gotten used to this because we, we eat bread and we know what bread is. But do, do, you, do you realize that most bread is air? There's dough, but the dough is wrapped around air. If we were to look at a steak like we look at bread, we'd send it back. What happened here? There's something wrong. There's not enough meat there. It's a bunch of air. God wants the kingdom to be that which produces room, spaces, so that you can begin to function in your ministry. And the beauty about leaven is that once it's done its job, you don't even know that it's there. You can't see it. You see the effects of it. But you can't see it. And when you've done your job, you fade into the woodwork. It's not about you getting patted on the back and look at what I've done and receiving the glory and needing all the accolades. When we've done all we've done for Jesus, we let him get the glory. We fade into the woodwork because we've created room for so many other people to do what they need to do. And that's our job as a staff in this church is not to be those which are always in the position of authority being praised I want, when, when I'm introduced to any place, I want to be known as yours. I don't want to be known as bread. I want to be known as a pastor of Grace Covenant. I want to be defined by this people, not by my ministry. And although I'm not against anybody who establishes blank, blank ministries, put a name in front of it, I never will. I won't. Because I, I don't want to have my own ministry, Brett Fuller Ministries. I want to be defined by a group of people and fade. I don't do interviews except for Christian organizations because I'm not interested in it. I don't need the pub. I don't need the insight. I, I, I don't need any kind of recognition. But I love it when you get it. We're here to make room for you so you can do your ministry. And that's what leaven does. It creates pockets, holes in different places so people can begin to dwell and the entire organization gets bigger and bigger. Now, lastly, leaven functions best when the heat rises. We like temperate environments, don't we? 74 and breezy, Lord, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, leaven functions best at about 120. Mm. It really, it really begins to do its job at about 350. 
you can put it in a, do- a lump of dough and set it on the, on the counter, and it'll rise, but it's slow. You put it in a lump of dough and then put that thing on 350 in an oven, you can sit there and see it rise. It functions fastest when it's, when it's an environment that's hot. And unfortunately, the church has been the most effective when it's been persecuted. I would like to prove that different in this generation, please. I'd like for us to do everything we need to do without the aid of antagonistic stimuli. But the reality is, don't most of us seek God more and and with greater intensity when things are bad? When our life is a wreck, don't we find ourselves praying more? What are we doing? Allowing God to make more room. When you encounter various trials, my brother, and consider it all joy because he's doing something in you. He's creating more room. Absolutely critical that we let leaven do what it's supposed to do and allow the heat to be that into which we jump like the eagle. Proverbs 30, verse 18. Three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, what does an eagle do? He sees the thermals. He perches at the right spot. That's why it's important for you to be placed in the right spot, in the right church, with the right people. He perches in the right spot, and when he sees these thermals and he can see them without the distinctive benefit of having uh, pavement that's hot and, and air that's cool, and you can see thermals when you're driving down the highway, and that shimmering that's on the highway, that's hot air rising. Well, they don't need the distinction between the two. They have such good eyesight. They can read a newspaper at 20 yards. They can see these thermals, and when they see one, they jump into it. And what does that thermal do? Help them get to the next level. You need the heat to help you get to the next level. God brings it to your life so that you don't have to stay where you are so you can actually grow and become something that you weren't before. A woman took this leaven and she put it in a lump until the entire lump was leavened. I pray that God would use you as leaven and put you someplace until you affect and influence the entire environment. Can you say amen?